Hey everybody, welcome to episode 194 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris coming to you back in Austin, Texas post-vacation. Thank you for allowing me to have a little bit of a shorter episode last week on my vacation. Hopefully you're going to take my vacation advice to heart on your next vacation and focus on enjoying it rather than being too worried about your training That's what I did last week, and that's what I will continue to do on vacations to come. Today, I want to talk about a topic that was suggested by a listener. We're going to talk a little bit about balancing running training with life and with work and with kids and all the variables that come into play. I have not really to this point specifically talked about this topic, but I've got eight tips for you on how to balance what I'm going to call your run life balance and make sure that all things can fit together so that you can prioritize your training while also doing what you need to do for your family, for your work life. And so we'll get into that as our main topic. Before we get there, I wanted to talk a little bit about some current events. We had, we've got some races going on on the track, as I mentioned a few weeks ago. Bowerman Track Club was out again this past weekend racing in relay fashion, doing a 4x1500-meter relay for both the men and the women. And then you also had, from the prior week, some other fast 1500s happening on tracks all across the country. And now some are happening globally as well as elites are getting creative about how to, to race during this uncertain time. And for me, if you can do it safely and you can get out there and do it outdoors, then why not? Why not take advantage of those opportunities? And it appears, based on what I've seen, that these events are being put together in a way that, you know, is being done safely and with full caution in mind to avoid transmission of the virus. And in many cases, athletes are required to test before racing. So for me, I'm all for it as a way for these athletes to continue to hone their craft as they prep for the Olympics next year. But specifically on a couple of couple of highlights I wanted to to throw out there. First of all, going to the Bowerman Track Club. I mean they absolutely crushed it this weekend in the relays. They had both a men's and women's four by fifteen hundred relay going down and were able to get the world record in the women's four by fifteen hundred meter relay by a pretty significant margin, averaging 4.06 for the group of athletes, which included Colin Quigley, who we've had on this show, Shelby Houlihan, Elise Cranny, and of course, Krista Schweizer, who has been running really fast at the 1500 meter herself recently. So that went down and they ended up with the world record. And then you had the men's team go off and they ended up with an American record in the four by 1500. So absolutely crushing it. And you got to give them also props for doing it to raise money for the equal justice initiative, which is an organization fighting against racial injustice. So props to the Bowerman teams on their world and American records. And then of course doing it for a cause that is so worthy And then the prior week, you had Team Boss, 
with Emma Coburn and company go to Indiana to race a 50 or a mile, not a 1500, a mile, and ended up with Emma's teammate Corey McGee absolutely crushing her race to run a 421 in the mile, which is now good for, I believe it's the eighth fastest mile ever by an American woman. And Corey was followed by her teammate, Stanley Jones and Emma Coburn, Emma Coburn in 423, which is good for 10th and 11th fastest U.S. mile of all time. So lots of fast performances, especially from American women across the country in these hodgepodge meets that people are, are able to put together. Now, they're doing this, obviously, to clearly stay in shape and stay sharp during this pandemic time, but... In many cases, especially for the Nike athletes, apparently they're also doing it to fulfill their minimum appearance requirements by dictated by Nike in their contracts. So that's an interesting wrinkle in this pursuit to have races happening this summer. But again, for me, if you can do it safely, if you can do it following state and local rules and following guidelines that will prevent transmission, then I am all for it. And I think they... They need it for their careers. The running community needs it, needs something to talk about. And then to the extent that any of us can get outside and run right now and do it safely, I think we all need it to stay sane and to have that outlet for relief, for stress relief and to give us something to look forward to during this time when we're mostly on lockdown. So those are some results to speak of. Got more races happening. I believe Bowerman has another intra-squad meet coming up this week. And so I'll be talking about that next week on the episode. But that's a quick recap of at least a few of the highlights from these meets that are starting to happen around the country during this crazy time. All right. So with that as an intro, let's jump into our topic. Going to talk about run-life balance. Thanks to a listener suggestion on getting this episode out there. And I can tell you as someone who has had a mix of life experiences over the last 20 years of my running career from an intense corporate job to having children to balancing having a business and coaching athletes, I've had a lot of variables at play in my own life to going to grad school. I've had a lot of variables at play in my own life over the last 20 years that have forced me to adapt and to learn a lot about how to balance running and life. And so we're going to talk through eight of my tips today, as well as we'll get to some kind of practical suggestions as we go through each of these eight tips on how you can balance running and life. Before I jump into those eight tips, though, I want to emphasize an an important point, which is that obviously training and the more you can train, the better from a pure physiological standpoint. But unless you're able to recover from the work that you're done and unless you're able to manage the total stress load in your life, then you're not going to see the benefits of the training unless you're able to find a balance. And so not only do you need a balance in your training in that you have to balance stress and recovery in order to get the appropriate aerobic benefits, but you also need a balance in the running and life equation so that you can minimize overall stress loads and accept and your body can accept the training it's receiving 
during its recovery time because your overall stress load is managed. So it's an important equation and you can only do as much work as your body will allow you to manage. Sometimes I say it like this, which is that you can only run as many miles as you can recover from. And in this run life balance conversation, you can only train as hard as your total life can manage that training load. Because if it doesn't all fit together in a way that's sustainable and balanced, then either you won't accept the training and you'll hit a plateau or something will break and you'll have a cycle of perhaps injury or overtraining syndrome that's going to take you into a place where you're you're losing fitness or maybe demotivated and therefore falling away from the sport. So it's critical to get this balance right, not only for mental health, but also for physical health and for training balance so that you can accept the training that you're receiving and therefore ultimately get faster over time. So this is an important conversation to have. And I think one that probably isn't prioritized enough in the overall training conversation. So I'm going to give you eight tips today that I pulled from the last 20 years of managing this in my own life. And of course, in helping athletes that I coach manage these, these equations and this balance as they train. So number one, let's talk about these eight things. Number one, prioritization is critical. You have to prioritize what matters to you and then be intentional about your choices. So this isn't really about managing work and life yet. This is about setting up those trade-offs in your life, making those decisions that will allow you to know what's important to you and therefore what stands to be elevated in your life and also know what's not important and what stands to perhaps fall by the wayside when you have to make those choices. And so this question, I think, is something that we often get posed in any conversation about work and life. It's like, well, you have to prioritize. You have to prioritize. Everybody talks about prioritization in any environment because time is a scarce resource. But oftentimes when we hear that word prioritize, we roll our eyes because we think, well, I can prioritize all all I want and I still can't fit everything in. But, But I think what you have to do is really take that seriously, is understand what's important to you and then make intentional choices to elevate those things that you want to have as a higher place in your life and to intentionally say no to the things that you don't find as important. So what are some examples for that? For me, and this has again evolved over the last 20 years of my life, my priorities are pretty simple in my world. Obviously, there's my family that is the top of my prioritization list. There's also my rogue community and the athletes I coach. Those are near the top of my priority list. And then there's my own training, which is at the top of my priority list because I believe it's important for me to show up as well as I can in those other two places. And that may be the extent, if I had to list three things, that, that might be the list. And sometimes, especially when you're talking as a parent about children, it's easy to fall into a trap of self-sacrifice where you have to say, well, I'm going to deprioritize my own pursuits, my own goals in order to spend time raising this human. 
And that trade-off is often painted as binary or as black and white. Personally, I don't think it should be that way. I think as a parent, you have to obviously prioritize caring for and raising your child. But in my opinion, in order to do that and bring your best self into that equation, you have to also prioritize your own goals, your own pursuits, your own desires within reason in order to set an example for your kids as well as to bring your best self into that equation with your children. And I believe personally that if I'm pursuing big goals, if I'm tackling big things, yes, there are times when that takes me away from them, but there are also times when they see me pursuing those goals and then will hopefully that will hopefully plant a seed in them that will spark similar things, whether they're in running or not. I don't necessarily care. I just want to see them dreaming big and going after those goals. And I believe that in order to set an example for them, they need to see me doing the same thing, which means that at times I have to make trade-offs between spending time with them and spending time pursuing my own goals. Those aren't necessarily mutually exclusive things because if they're watching me pursue a big goal, then that is something that they will hopefully emulate someday. So when you're thinking about this question of prioritizations, don't think of it as a zero-sum game or as a series of hard and fast trade-offs because what looks like a trade-off on the surface could simply just be a yin and a yang that both need to be there in order to get the best total outcome. And in my opinion, my goals with also spending time with them is is part of that yin and yang equation of they need to see me pursuing big things in order to also hopefully someday pursue those themselves. And on top of that, I'm better with them because of my ability to pursue those goals and to test and sharpen myself. And I can bring a better version of me into that equation with them when I spend time with them because of what I'm doing in my running training. So it's not an either or situation. It's, I think, a a both and situation in that equation. But of course, it does mean that I have to make some other choices and maybe let some things slide that are further down the list at times in order to make all of those things come together. You know, one sort of silly example of that is that, you know, now my Saturday mornings or my Saturdays look very different than they did 12 years ago pre-children. Now, maybe not during the pandemic time, but but pre-children, Saturday morning might include a long run and then a brunch with my wife and then a lazy Saturday where I could be napping, watching TV, doing whatever. Whereas now a Saturday typically means getting in an early long run, going straight pre-pandemic times, going straight to a soccer game, then maybe having two or three soccer games to attend on a Saturday where I'm spending time watching them, encouraging them, supporting what they're doing before, you know, getting back, grabbing some dinner and then crashing in bed in a tired heap in the evening. And so it looks a little different now. 
than it did before, but I'm able to make all those things work because those are the choices I've made and how I'm choosing to prioritize. But you have to know what's important, what's not. No longer is it important for me to watch college football on a Saturday because of that kid running equation before it might have been a higher priority in my life. And again, that's a silly example, but just one example of many is that you have to be intentional about your choices. Choose what's important to you and then focus really hard on protecting those things that matter and letting the other things slip away or saying no to them actively. So point one, prioritize and be intentional about your choices. And again, I want to reiterate as a part of that, that sometimes two things that seem to be mutually exclusive can build on each other if you think about it in the right way. For me, that is kids and and my running. For somebody else, that might be work and your running. Because if you're showing up as best you can in your running life, pursuing big goals in that part of your life, then that's going to translate to being a better version of yourself in your work environment. But sometimes we think of those two things as mutually exclusive and they're not. The two things can work together. So prioritize, be intentional about your choices, and be very careful about thinking life in black and white trade-offs like I mentioned. That's point number one. And one of the most important points in this equation because if you're serious about what you choose to prioritize, then you will protect it. You will find a way to make it happen for you. And by the way, it's okay if running is not something you prioritize. It's absolutely okay. If you're listening to this podcast, it probably is. If you're investing time listening to me talk about it, but it doesn't have to be. And there may be times in your life when it's not, and there may be short windows of time where that works out for you that way. For me, nine months post having baby number one, I didn't run almost a single step because at that time, as I was adjusting to life with our our firstborn, it just didn't fit. And rightly so. I was prioritizing something different and I didn't have the ability to fit it all together at that time in a way that would be additive for both. But since then, I figured that out. So it's okay if it's not a priority for you. It's also okay if at times it's not a priority for you. But if it is important, I would encourage you to figure it out, to protect it, and we'll talk about that in the next seven seven thoughts as we go through this topic. So that's number one. Prioritize and be intentional about your choices. Number two, cancel your excuses. We're in the middle of cancel culture, so why not call it cancel your excuses? Another way to put this is establish the storyline that you want claim it because you can change the narrative in your head. Oftentimes it's easy to think about all the reasons why we can't do something. That's the easy part. Instead of thinking about all the reasons that we can do something. And many times when you start to break down those excuses, they end up just being stories that we tell ourselves to give us an out, so to speak. 
to perhaps protect us from disappointment or to protect us from dreaming something big. And I can remember a time, and this would have been for me now about six years ago, when I was at a time in my life where I was, and I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, where I was thinking, you know, had three kids, have a business, coach my own athletes, had a lot going on in my life. And I was thinking in my head that because of all those things going on in my life, that it was okay not to ever go after PRs again in my own running. I'd sort of rationalize that in my head to think, well, those goals aren't realistic for me anymore because I've got all this other stuff going on. And also, by the way, I'm getting older, which was another silly excuse in my head. And so I was thinking about all of those reasons why I shouldn't be able to PR again. And all valid reasons. You know, if I had had that conversation with anybody, it'd say, well, I've got three kids. I've got a business that I'm running. I've got athletes that I coach. I've got all these other things going on in my life that I am prioritizing. So therefore, I shouldn't expect this in my own running. And a reasonable reasonable person, if I had told them that list of things, would have said, you know, Chris, you're right. You've got a lot going on. Maybe you can't ever get another PR or maybe it won't happen for you. But are you okay? Are you still running anyway? Do you love it? And I would have said, yeah, I love it. I love it for other reasons. But I went into a goal-setting conversation back then in 20, maybe 2013, end of 2013, that with actually a Lululemon store team, because I was at the time a Lululemon ambassador, and they they had this goal-setting session that I remember going to thinking that I would not necessarily get anything out of it. I'm a coach. I do goal setting all the time. What am I going to learn in this goal setting discussion? And that was a pivotal discussion for me because one of the things that we talked about in that was changing the narrative in our head about why we can't do something. Because clearly in my head, I wanted to PR again, but I had all these excuses as to why that couldn't happen. And the moment Tegra, the woman I was talking to in that session, said, change the narrative, think about all the reasons why you can instead of all the reasons why you can't, then it was almost like a a switch flipped in my brain. And I realized in that moment, split second moment, that I could, I could do it even with all the things that I was managing in my life, because that was just a story in my head to make me feel good about not pursuing something. But I knew all the things I needed to do in order to get it done. I knew those things already that were swimming around in my head, parallel to all those excuses. All I had to do was go do those things. And it started with some really simple things. Like, for example, at the time, I was really struggling getting in my Monday runs consistently because of some scheduling issues with getting our kids to childcare and things like that. And and so it was just a matter of simply saying, sending out an email to my running friends to say, hey, I need to get a run in. 
I need to get a run in at this time in order to make it work with my schedule. Who can join me? Ended up having at the time three or four people say, hey, I'll join you at that time. And then suddenly I had Monday running compatibility partners that forced me to get out there and get my Monday runs in to establish week-long consistency, which was part of the work I needed to do to get back into PR shape. And there was a list of other things, but they weren't complicated. They weren't hard. It was just simply executing on stuff that had already been swimming in my head as things I should do that I just hadn't done. Largely, I think, because I was afraid. I was afraid to admit or I was afraid to strive for those PRs again, worried that maybe I wouldn't be able to achieve them. And that fear was keeping me from looking at myself in the mirror and pushing those excuses aside and just going to do the work I knew I needed to do and could do. And it, it wasn't about optimizing my training in any magical way. It was just about basic blocking and tackling. It was about canceling those excuses. It was about canceling my excuse for not running on Monday, creating a sustainable plan to establish that Monday run, and then delivering on it. Really simple blocking and tackling things. And then from that conversation, over the next year and a half, I literally PR'd at every distance, ran a personal best at every distance, from the 10K to the marathon, including half marathon, 10 mile distance, and everything in between. The only thing I didn't PR in was a 5K because I didn't run a 5K during that time. So, but it all, all it took was just a, a simple mindset shift, changing the narrative in my head. And instead of saying, I can't do this because of X, Y, and Z, it was, I can do this because I know I can take these steps to to establish the work I need to do to get where I want to go. And literally, that was like a light switch in my head, changing the mindset associated with those excuses that then propelled me with backing that up with the work, then propelled me to getting those goals. And, and since then, I've PR'd in those distances a couple of times, including the marathon. And I still believe that I've got more PRs ahead of me because the mindset has shifted. And sometimes you just need that simple mindset shift in order to kick your ass in gear, so to speak. But cancel your excuses and instead of listing them, think about all the reasons why you can, not all the reasons why you can't. And that doesn't mean that some of those excuses aren't valid. They might be. You might have constraints in your life. We all have them. But I guarantee you, and I coach close to 200 athletes in one form or another right now, and all of them have, in one form or another, challenges in their life that make it difficult to train, from crazy job schedules to children in their life to family stress, whatever it may be. There's a long list of excuses that the athletes I coach could have as to why they can't do something and the and and they all instead show up and do the work anyway. So I promise you if you have one of those quote unquote excuses in your life, there are ways to reframe that constraint and get the work done anyway. 
and we'll talk a little bit about as we go in the next six points how to do that but you've got to shift that mindset don't think about the excuses don't think about the reasons you can't think about the reasons you can that's where the magic is so that's point number two so number one prioritize it and be intentional about your choices number two cancel your excuses number three which is another kind of preemptive step here in work you have to do, foundation you have to lay before getting to do the work. Engage your partner, your family, your household, your support network, not only on your goals, but also on the constraints, the challenges, the things you have to navigate to do the work. And this is a critical step because I hear it so often from athletes where they will say, oh, I can't, I can't do that. My wife doesn't like me running and spending that much time away from her on a Saturday morning. Or my husband needs me here or there. Whatever. There's a, or my, my new boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, whatever it may be, needs X, Y, and Z. That excuse quote-unquote excuse comes to me often and so and look there's validity in it you can't be 100% selfish you know that may be something that an elite athlete can do because it's their career but for those of us they're just seeking PRs or or seeking those individual personal goals we have to be conscious of the impact of our training on those around us and But the problem is that we often exclude those around us from the conversation. And what I have found in my own life, as well as in coaching and counseling runners on this topic, is that if you engage your partner, your partner, your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your household, whoever it may be in your life, that immediate support network, if you engage them on your goals, if you engage them on the challenges, if you demonstrate a willingness to compromise and to work around their needs, then usually they're going to be all in to support you in whatever form you need. Or they might even have their own ideas about how to make it happen and work for you because then you can reciprocate with them and initiate the conversation and say, hey, well, what are your goals? How can I help you with that? But but sometimes we we forget or oftentimes we forget about that conversation, that preemptive conversation. And instead we're asking for forgiveness and not permission because we think that'll be the path of least resistance. And I would encourage you to ask for permission, not forgiveness, because that gets you ahead of the conversation. It allows you to have a partner or partners in your pursuits. And I promise you, if you dig in with that and you're vulnerable about your goals and what you want to accomplish with that immediate support network that you have, then typically they're going to bend over backwards and support you in whatever way they can to help you get there. And obviously, as a part of those discussions, you're going to have to make trade-offs. You're going to have to find compromise. You're going to have to say, hey, I'll do this, but I won't do that. But until you articulate what you need, and allow them to help you and support you in in brainstorming how to accomplish what you need, then it's going to be really difficult to get this 
done. And so that's an important early step after these first two is going to your partner, spouse, family, immediate support network and say, hey, this is what I want to accomplish. This is what I need to accomplish it. This is the constraint and pressure I know it will, will put on you. How can we as a group support this goal? Get buy-in from them, get ideas, get support. Show a willingness to compromise and trade off with them to support their needs. And I promise you, if you do that up front, it will make it so much easier to not only get whatever you want, but also to have those conversations in the future. And it will just enrich your relationship with that support network and those members of the support network in a way that I think will pay dividends in the long term, not only for you, but also for them. Because then you can engage them on what their goals are and how you can support those things. And this can manifest in different ways. I know for me and my family, my wife and I are both runners. We both like to do our own work and go after our own individual goals. And one example in our household about how that manifests is that typically I run early, get my work done, my running done early in the morning while she's at home with the kids during the week. And she then gets evening time to go get her work done and get her runs in. And so I'll take care of the kids and kind of support them up through dinner time and, you know, get, get all that prepped so that she can then get that stuff done, come home, eat with us, and then, you know, get to bed and not, and not have to worry about it. So that's one way we make it work. I know I have other examples. So another example in the group I coach is a husband and wife pairing that will trade off segments of the year in terms of who gets to go after a big goal. And and in this case, the the wife is a runner I coach. The husband's an Ironman triathlete and has his own pursuits as an athlete. And so they will trade off and say, all right, this for this five months, I'm going after my goal. For the next five to six months, I'll support you and your goal. That doesn't mean they're both not working and doing getting workouts done at both times, but it just means that in terms of prioritization and who gets that that opportunity to take extra time and to give extra focus, it's sort of siloed at different times of the year so they can balance who does what and make it work as a family. So those are a couple of examples, but there's others. And if you just engage in the dialogue, then I promise you magic will happen in terms of the support that you receive back. And then you'll have more of what you need to get your goals accomplished. So that's number three, engage your partner and family up front. Number four, make the time or ask for it. Make the time or ask for it. So if you've prioritized what you want and if training for a big goal is what you want, if you've canceled your excuses and reframed that dialogue and focused on the things you can do versus the things you can't, if you engage your partner and your family, then that will allow you to get to this fourth step, which is to make the time you need for your training or if needed ask for it and that could come in different ways it could mean asking for it from your family it could mean asking for it from your work situation 
but you've got to find the time. And I know time is a scarce resource, but it's amazing how much time we waste when we're not focused. And it's amazing how much we can get done and squeeze into our 24 hour day when we are focused. And when we do realize that we have small margins of error and for getting stuff done and we just work a rigorous schedule. And so what does that look like? I'm going to talk about the second half first, which is the ask for it piece. And this is, I think, oftentimes a step we skip. We make assumptions about what we can't do again with our schedule, with our work life, whatever it may be. We kind of make assumptions. We say, well, I have to come in at X time or I have to leave by, you know, at X time. And one thing I've found in my work life prior to being at Rogue is that when I engaged my employer about what I needed from a work training life balance standpoint in terms of my schedule, then oftentimes they were more accommodating than what I expected. And I've seen this myself. I've seen this with other athletes. Sometimes you have to be creative and say, hey, what if I came in early? Got my work done earlier than everybody and then was able to leave earlier? Or what if I came in a little later, but I stayed later? Sometimes there's flexibility, and I understand it's not true for all careers or jobs, but sometimes there's flexibility in your daily work schedule that will allow you to flex things in a way to get whatever training you need done. Or in some cases, it may be about having a conversation with your family about, hey, can I get this time protected for my workout? But you have to think about what your weekly routine needs to look like from a training perspective and ask for it or make the time in order to get that work in. In some cases, this means getting up earlier. I can tell you for me, I'm someone who was a night owl. I am a night owl and I was tra- I trained in the evening before kids. Sometimes I would run as late as 10 p.m. That's crazy, I know, but that's when it would fit for me after working and again I was a night owl so like I could I could run at 10 and be in bed at 11:30 and it was totally fine for me. It worked. But when we had kids that equation changed completely. As I said, I didn't run for 9 months after having our first. And I realized after those nine months that I needed to restructure my schedule in order to get into a sustainable routine with my running, which meant getting it in first thing instead of saving it for the end of the day. And so that's when I started waking up at 4.45, 5 a.m. to go run at 5.30, get it out of the way, be done by 7, 7.15, and then get to the rest of the day And I will tell you that that was a difficult shift for me because I'm a night owl. And it takes for me four to six weeks of doing that consistently before my body adjusts anytime I've gotten out of the habit of it. You know, if I, if I'm doing it consistently, it's fine. But if I'm not, then I have to go back into a four to six week adjustment period to get back into a routine with that so that my body isn't revolting every morning. And it just takes doing it for those four to six weeks before my body finally kind of recognizes that's the new rhythm and finds at least a sweet spot there. But it takes that consistent 
commitment to getting up early and people say, well, that's crazy. How can you wake up that early? I'm telling you, I'm a night owl. I hate mornings, but I also know that if I don't get it done, then it's not getting done. And I have a good friend, Paul Terranova, who's an amazing trail racer in his own right. And, and he gave me a quote one time that I have swirling in my head, literally every time my alarm goes off, which is that you can choose the pain of discipline or the pain of regret when that alarm goes off and we're pain of pain of regret represents hitting the off button and just falling back asleep. The pain of discipline represents that little mini battle I have every time the alarm goes off in order to get out of bed and get up and do the work. But I promise you, I never ever regret doing it. The pain of discipline is way better than the pain of regret because the pain of discipline lasts about 20 minutes of me kind of groggily <laughs> navigating out of bed. But once I'm out on the run, I love it. And I've had some of the best training runs of my life now in the early mornings because I had to make that shift in order to get it to fit into my life. And yes, at times that's challenging with my sleep equation, which I've talked about on the show. But now I'm managing that part of the equation by working a little bit more napping into my life. And so it's it's something that you, you just have to consider is be creative with your schedule, whether that means getting up early, whether that means asking for a different schedule at work. Sometimes that also means shifting around where your training runs go from a for, from a purpose standpoint in order to make it work for you. And we have a lot of athletes in our podcast group that have different kind of career schedule situations in terms of medical providers or whoever it may be that may work interesting shifts, sometimes work weekend shifts, sometimes you know late night shifts or early morning shifts. And so they're having to move their long run maybe to a Thursday or a Friday instead of a Saturday or Sunday, they're moving their schedule around in order to make it all fit together. And so sometimes you have to be creative with that in order to make it all work. But that's that's what you got to do. If that's what it takes to get it all put together, then make those shifts. Don't be so rigid that you're stuck to a certain schedule day in, day out. I have to do workouts on Tuesday. I have to do long runs on Saturday. No, if your schedule's unique, then your training schedule should also be unique. And in some cases that might mean to, for some people shifting to a 10 day plan instead of a seven day plan in order to make it all work. But the point is you got to make the time or you got to ask for the time. And if you establish it as your standard if you make it your routine and that will take some time typically it takes again about four to six weeks to establish routine and even longer than that to to make it an ingrained habit that doesn't go away if you're willing to do that work put in the work to establish an ingrained schedule then eventually it will become routine that becomes second nature that is just the way it is. And then then it'll become easy. But it's hard initially. And it's, a, and it's hard adapting. And again, there have been times in my life where I've had to shift my schedule. 
particularly around having children, that creates this little window of change that has some negative inertia associated with it that, you know, it's hard to make those shifts because once we're moving in one direction, it's easy to stay moving in that direction. But when you have to shift directions, that requires work. And in this case, you may have to do some work to make the time or to ask for the time. But if you do it and then you stick with it four to six weeks, it'll establish a routine that you can then reinforce. So that's number four. Make the time or ask for it. Number five, optimize the time you have. Optimize the time you have. So once you establish the time that you have, and again, there may be certain constraints associated with that, then you have to make sure you're getting the most out of that time and you're not lollygagging, so to speak, which means that you know exactly what your routine looks like. You've got it dialed in. You know exactly how much time you have pre and post run to get what you need done. You know exactly what you need to prioritize pre and post run in terms of the supplemental activities that you need to do. But optimize the time you have. And so let's give let's give some examples on what that might look like. First of all, on post run routine. Post run routine, I get this question all the time. You know, what should I spend time on post run in order to optimize my cool down and minimize the chance of injury. And this is something that I used to be more prescriptive about as a coach, but I've learned over time that everybody has different things that they need to focus on post run in order to stay healthy. And everybody has a different amount of time to invest in that post run activity. So for some people, that's about a stretching routine post run. For some people, that's about a foam rolling routine some people that's about doing foot drills and some other combination of activities in order to stay healthy, mobile, and strong. For some, it's about getting that post-run refueling shake and nutrition as well as you know doing some foam rolling or something like that in order to optimize that post-run time. The key though in that equation is to figure out what you need to stay healthy. And it might be an iterative process for you But if you find those one or two activities that you need to do to keep you healthy, then you do it and you establish your routine and you do it consistently and you fit it into the window that you have. Doesn't mean you have to do it all, but it does mean that you want to consistently do the things that are important. So that's one example. For some people, it's about recognizing that they only have a certain amount of time to do a certain activity. So for example, I've had runners come to me and say, Hey, I don't have time to run eight miles for my medium long run. Because if I, I only have maybe let's say an hour and 20 minutes to get it done. And in order to get in the eight miles, I have to run too fast in order to do it in an hour and 20 minutes according to the pace calculator that you've given me. So it's it's too difficult to squeeze that in or I have to run too fast to squeeze it in. And I will say in those situations, sometimes it's not about running those perfect eight miles. Maybe it's just about getting in an hour and 20 minutes 
of easy, moderate, medium, long run running and let the mileage kind of be what it is coming out of that. So sometimes it's about choosing time as your variable to follow on your training schedule instead of choosing distance. Sometimes it's about doing a few things consistently versus all things inconsistently. And this equation often comes up when we talk about strength training because that's it's really sometimes a difficult activity for runners to get in. Important, but difficult because it is extra time. And Some people will come to me and they'll say, how many strength sessions should I do in a week? Well, maybe optimally that's three for, for the average runner. If everything is perfect and you're doing all things you should be doing, but maybe for some, only two is possible. Maybe for others, only one is possible. But one routine done weekly consistently for 52 weeks of the year is going to be more powerful than doing a couple weeks of twice a week and then a couple weeks with none a week, you know, and having a routine that isn't consistent because sometimes we get, when we get over ambitious about activity, then then we kind of end up fluctuating and doing it all sometimes and none of it other times because it gets too overwhelming. And so focus on doing the things that you can do consistently, narrowing that down to whatever list you can do. And if you have a coach, you can ask them about how to prioritize those things, but optimize the time that you have. Also, don't, if you don't have extra time, don't waste time. Don't waste time. Get right to the work. Do what you need to do and then get right to the work and then do what you need to do post-run and then get right back to whatever you need to do. In some cases, this also means being creative about how you spend your driving time as it relates to your workouts. You know, in our real world, a lot of the athletes that I coach, you know, and I coach a group that meets at 5.30 in the morning, a lot of them will shower at our facility post-run and then go straight to work. And again, that's not an option for all people, but because at least pre-pandemic, we had that shower facility, they could go get their shower poster on and then go straight to work. And instead of having to commute to road, compute back home, shower and change and do all those things and then get to work, they're able to kind of combine the two things, run, shower at Rogue, then go straight to work, save a bunch of drive time, get it all in, in a way that fits. So Sometimes you got to be creative about that part of the equation. And there's a lot of work facilities that might have showers there. And so, you know, you can potentially go get your workout done, then go drive straight to work, shower there, then get right to work. Another example of kind of optimizing your time is doing a run commute or doing a lunch run at work. And I know when I was an intern at Nike back in 2004, I would often run to work and then run home. And it was a way to get extra miles in, in time that I would have been spent riding on a train. I was spending it on my feet. And yes, I had to manage my schedule a little bit differently in order to make that happen. But it was a way to kill two birds with one stone, combine my commute and my run for the day. And then when I was home, 
it was done. It was out of the way. And then I could spend time with my wife and enjoy Portland during that summer. So those are some examples. But once you've established your time, optimize the time that you have. And if you need to, get creative about how it all fits together. That's number five. Optimize the time you have. Number six, multitask. Multitask. And this is also kind of along the theme of being creative about how you spend your time, but multitask. Sometimes this is where you actually get to add the time. And and again, it can come in a lot of different forms. Typically, this multitask piece works for some of the supplemental activities, but it can also work for the running itself. I know that for me, as someone who has kids at soccer practice, most evenings of the week. Now, when we're back to normal schedules, it means that sometimes, either during soccer practice or during soccer games, I'm doing a workout myself while I'm at the field watching them. And it could mean running, could be an easy run, could also mean doing some sort of body weight strength exercise from the sideline as I'm watching them because I'm gonna be spending that hour anyway at the field why not optimize it and do it and use it to get some of my own work done? And so that's an example of a way to multitask. Another classic multitasking example is just thinking about all those little dead moments in your life where you can get something done at the same time as doing something else. The classic example from uh, my old coach, John Shrupp, is he would say, you know, if you're in the line at... The grocery store, waiting to check out, you can do some simple body weight exercises like do calf raises, for example, while you're in line waiting to check out. You know, you can also do things like jump on a foam roller while you're on a conference call at work or potentially do some ankle mobility work to help rehab or prehab while you're on a conference call at work. And so being able to multitask, especially those recovery modalities, is a critical part of the equation. Sometimes when I'm podcasting, I'll literally be doing ankle rolls while I'm podcasting because I can talk and do ankle rolls at the same time to help me with my ankle mobility. And that can come in many forms in terms of how this multitasking can play out for you. But I would highly recommend figuring out the little ways that you can multitask, do two things at once, and often they come in small chunks, but that allows you to kill two birds with one stone. So that's number six, multitask. Be creative there. Number seven, find your accountability. Find your accountability. And this can come in the form of that partner, family, immediate kind of household group that I talked about earlier, but it often comes in the form of a run group, a coach, a friend, someone who can be on this journey with you, whether you're doing it with them physically or whether you're doing it with them virtually, especially now during this time, there is no shortage of people that want to be held accountable virtually. And so you have to find that virtual accountability. As I mentioned earlier, it came in the form for me of, of an email that I sent to my 
running friends and say, hey, I've got a case of the Mondays. Who can come help me be accountable for Monday runs? And most runs I do today actually are with other people. And so I have a built-in accountability network through the rogue community that gets me out there for most of my runs. But you may not have that. If you don't find it, if you if you don't know, find a friend, ask around, go to a running store, talk to them about the options that are in your local community. Join our podcast group, which is has a great virtual accountability network. Find that friend who who is also training and trade texts and war stories over text about getting this done. But you've got to be accountable. If you're not accountable to it, then what's the point? And yes, most and most of us, you know, I would say can't be accountable to just ourselves. There are those rare individuals who will get the work done on their own no matter what. But I would say most of us need a second pair of eyes, a second pair of encouraging words to go with you at least a second to help get you out there to help you do the work to sh- and then to share in the journey because that to me is as fun a part of the accountability process as anything else is sharing the journey is encouraging them while they're encouraging you seeing their successes while they get to celebrate yours so find that accountability those accountability partners can also be thought partners in the equation here. They can help you brainstorm. And sometimes it's just about vocalizing those challenges that you're having and saying, hey, I'm really struggling with this. What should I do? And they're going to give you a good list of ideas about how to manage it, whether that be a friend, a coach, a running partner, whoever it may be. And so they become not only an accountability partner, but also a thought partner and how to work through and manage the issues as they come up. So find your accountability and then get really close to them and be really willing to open up and give them full access to your journey so that you can share in it and and hold each other accountable to it together. So that's number seven. Number eight last one we'll talk about learn adjust learn adjust adapt learn adjust adapt there is no way that you're going to figure this all out in one fail swoop you're just not you're not going to be perfect expect to make mistakes expect to miss runs on occasion expect to fall out of habits at times expect to not hold up your end of the bargain on occasion with friends that's okay you have to give yourself grace on that it's gonna happen but if it does happen recognize the issue learn adjust adapt if there's something that consistently pops up as holding you back from getting something done go back to the the first point check your priorities go back to the second point cancel your excuses associated with that three and four engage and make time go back to the beginning figure out what's going on and decide is it an issue of prioritization is it an issue of 
reallocating resources or time, get creative about how you manage that issue that you're facing. Try something new, adapt, and then learn and adjust. If you're not perfect, that's again, it's okay. It's always going to be an iterative process, not only because you might encounter challenges as you start this process, but also because there will be life changes that might happen that cause you to iterate. I think for many people, the pandemic was a big example of that. It suddenly threw a wrench in all of our schedules, plans, and routines, and we had to either adapt to that and learn new routines or succumb to to it. And if that is you, if you succumb to it, that's okay. Nobody's throwing stones at you. Nobody's saying you've failed. It's all okay. It's all normal. But now it's time to adapt, to learn, to process, to try something new, to figure out what else might work. And again, continuing to iterate until you find a routine that works for you. So critical that you continue to adapt and learn while giving you grace, giving yourself grace during the process, not beating yourself up. Now, again, if it's something that continues to pop up, an excuse that continues to to hold you hostage, then, then that's one thing. Then you may need to look at yourself and decide, is this important enough to me? Because you might have shown yourself that it's not. And again, if that's the case, that's okay. But... If it's just an issue of getting your routine wrong or not managing that excuse the right way or that issue the right way, then try something new, figure out what works to get around it and keep pressing forward. If you do that, I promise you, you'll be able to iterate and find a new routine, a new normal. And if you're executing on 95% of what you think you should, then you're doing pretty well. You know, we're all going to have those one or two days a month that you just don't get it right for whatever reason or where you decide because your body's run down or you just need a little break, you decide to take a day off. All those things are normal. It's just when it becomes more routine to miss than it is to get the work done where you have a problem that you need to really go back to step one and say, is this a priority to me or not? Because again, as I've coached hundreds of athletes over the last 15 years. Everyone faces challenges. There is not a single person who doesn't have constraints, who doesn't have tough things that they face that might keep them from the work. Everyone faces it. And there are some that face it in the extreme. They might have the kids, the job, the crazy obligations, in so many different ways and they still get the work done because it's a priority for them. And that's not making anybody a hero and that's not taking away from anybody who struggles more with it at all. It's just, I'm just telling you that there are so many people that are facing constraints and challenges that if they can do it, then you can too. If you start at the beginning here, if you clearly state your priorities, cancel those excuses engage your support network and then go about making and optimizing the time 
to do the work. If you can do all of that, and if you step into it with a true willingness to iterate and learn and adapt when you need to, to make it all fit together, then I promise you, you will figure out a way. And if you're struggling with that after these steps, email me, chris at roguerunning.com. I promise you, I can help you brainstorm. So that's my episode today on figuring out how to balance your running and your life. Hopefully that was helpful for t- helpful to you. And if you have ideas, examples about what you've done to make it work, would love to hear those. Would love to share those on the podcast. But I really believe in all of your ability to make it work if you take these eight steps. So there you go. That's our episode today on the Run Life Balance. Thanks, as always, for listening. You can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or the Facebook at Rogue Running. And by the way, I'll have some announcements soon on some new podcast-based training that will be coming up starting in September. So stay tuned for that. Otherwise, stay tuned for my episode next week. We will talk to you then.